Well, I have been in a series over the past several weeks now. It's a series I'm calling The Case for Grace. So when I began this series, The Case for Grace, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, people still are not understanding the simplicity of the gospel. So don't rush it. Take your time. Make it as plain as can be so that they can run with it. Isn't that what the prophet said? Write it down. Make it plain. They might run with it. So I'm calling this series The Case for Grace. My passion has been to help believers to have their eyes be opened so that they might be able to see the finished work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of the cross. Much of the church has been indoctrinated. Come on, you know what doctrine is, right? Every church has doctrine. Most of the church has been indoctrinated with a gospel that has taken them captive. It's a hybrid gospel. Now, I'm going to say some things. Just set aside your religion for just a moment and hear me out. Obedience to the Ten Commandments as a means to make yourself more right with God is a hybrid gospel. Adherence to the 613 Jewish laws, there are 613 of them, adherence to even one of those is a hybrid gospel. Tithing so that you don't fall under the curse is a hybrid gospel. Jesus plus anything, Jesus minus anything, Jesus divided with anything, or Jesus multiplied by anything is a hybrid gospel. It is Christ alone. Your pitiful little works, good, I'm glad you do them. I have worked my fingers to the bone over the years for the church, and I have no regrets for what I've done. But many people are working their fingers to the bone to be more accepted by God, to be more accepted before the Father. When my son visited me this last week, and I didn't ask him to do a thing. Why? He doesn't have to come and perform before me. He's very capable. I've got some electrical stuff that needs to get done around the house. And he's an electrician, but we just enjoyed one another. Amen. It's not always about getting to work and making somebody work for things. The word hybrid means to mix together. Kind of like you get next to automobiles out here that are hybrid. That means they run off of more than one fuel. They have a gasoline source or a diesel source, and then they run off of batteries, electric, if you will. They mix two things together to make that vehicle operate. So the word hybrid means to mix together, or it means to crossbreed something. Therefore, a hybrid gospel is a fusion. It's an emulsification, if you will, of both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's like you've thrown them both in a blender, and you've hit the switch, and now they've become one, and now you don't know how to separate one from the other. A gospel that brings and mixes things together is what would be called a mixture gospel, a hybrid gospel, if, if you will. And don't take my word for it, but take the Apostle Paul's word for it. He said that is no gospel at all. 
See, the word gospel means good news. Well, if I have to perform to please my Father, that's not good news. I can't rest doing that. I've been around people before that they put you on pins and needles, don't they? Because they can just fly off any moment, just fly off the handle any moment. So you always feel like you're not your best because you're always trying to perform. You're trying to make sure you don't say anything that sets them off. Well, so many people have that same viewpoint. They have that same opinion of the Father. And He is nothing like that. He's a good, good Father. So when I began this series a few weeks ago, I wanted you to know my heart went on a mission trip. It went on an exploration. It went on an adventure, if you will, to provide us with the scriptural validation that salvation comes only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What I've learned is I believe more and more what I already believe. That it's true that Grace truly is the gift of God. We do not subsidize his gift. And there are no co-payments with God. There are no risks with him. Our salvation can never be forfeited. It can never be stolen. It can never be lost. And it can never be revoked by the giver. Would you like to know why it can never be revoked by the giver? Because God is an oath keeper. And he said, I give you eternal life. He's a covenant keeper. He's a promise keeper. And he is the keeper of our soul. God is the keeper of your soul. Jesus is the anchor, the scriptures tell us, of our soul. And so I'm not the one who anchors me. Christ, the relationship I have with Christ, is the one who anchors me. Now, Six messages into this series, and now I will minister the seventh one today. I get this feeling that this series is coming to a close. As I always say, if you're flying an airplane, the moment that nose of that plane tips ever so slightly, that plane has to come down. How many of you know that? And so in my spirit, I sense we'll be wrapping this thing up pretty soon, and I'll be closing out this series in the near future. And so through these messages, you know what we're doing? We're removing the tiara, the bling-bling of performance that ministers have crowned the bride of Christ with. And we are reminding the bride of Christ that we've already been crowned with daddy's loving kindness, the scriptures say, and tender mercies. That comes right out of the book of Psalm. We are crowned, crowned with loving kindness. We are crowned with tender mercies, and these mercies are new every single day. Every day you wake up, His mercies are new. They're brand new. What do you need for today? Grace and mercy. Isn't that what the psalmist David would write in Psalm 23? He said, surely goodness and mercy, that means grace and mercy, shall follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today, I have the seventh message to this series as I minister for a few minutes this morning through a message I'm calling, The Believer's Full Redemption from the Law. Now, if I were to add money to my existing bank account, does it stand to reason that my bank account would increase in value? 
Does that make sense? If I were to add money, would it increase? In other words, if I had $1,000 in there and I put $1,000 in there, now I have 2000 did my bank account increase in value? Yes, of course it did. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to answer this just in the quietness of your own heart. You don't have to blurt it out if you don't want to. If you had to choose between $1 million gift, cash money, or a $2 million gift, cash money, which one would you take? $2 million? <laughs> okay, $2 million. Why did you say that? Because you realize $2 million is twice as much as $1 million, right? But see, you haven't heard the rest of the question, okay? So you don't have any context here yet, right? I've hidden something from you because the $2 million comes with a stipulation. The $1 million, not so much. See, the $1 million, you're able to do whatever you want with. You're free to go put it in the bank. That's a good place for it. But the $2 million, you have to keep in your home. If you had $2 million in your home, I guarantee you it would wreck your life. You'd never want to leave home. You'd be too afraid to walk away from what's already there. People are so afraid to walk away from what they already have. So that's the stipulation. You have to keep it in your home. And so that decision alone would influence me to say, I'll take the $1 million that I can put in the bank. I don't want $2 million at home. I want to leave home at times. I don't want $2 million that I've got a safeguard at home, right? So given that stipulation, I would take the $1 million and put it in the bank. Why? Because I am better protected in my bank than I am in my house. Does that make sense? Now, do you want to change your answer on the $2 million? You're going to keep the $2 million in your home? Okay, fine. So what I'm trying to say is this. I would rather put my trust in Christ's finished work than my trust in my own ongoing, unfinished work. I would rather put my trust in his finished work, what he's done to save me. I would rather trust in Jesus's once for all sacrifice for sin than my daily repentance, my daily confession of sins. Because what if I forget to ask for forgiveness for one of those sins? People sin so much, they don't even know they sin anymore, to be honest with you. They just have just tuned it out, you know. It's like living next door to the railroad tracks. You don't even hear the train anymore. It bugged you at first, but you got used to it over the years. And they take those little petty sins like gossip and backbiting. They don't even realize they're doing it. Friends, it's easy to sin. Now, I'm not an advocate for sin. If you're sinning, stop, drop, and roll. Don't do that, okay? Because it will mess you up and mess somebody else's life up. But people have gotten used to it. And so if we're going to go based upon you making a confession in order to be forgiven, what if you forget one? And now it gets covered up, kind of like a litter box. It gets covered up, you know, and then you get a month down the road and a year down the road. You can't remember that you sinned that day, but you forgot to ask for forgiveness for that sin. So you understand, it's not a lamb by lamb. It's not a confession by confession. It's not forgive me every single day for what I've done. Christ's once-for-all sacrifice, it was a sufficient payment for all time. 
That's what we get when we come to Christ. We get forgiveness forever. He says, you are eternally mine. We don't have a temporary love from God. We don't have a conditional love from God. We have an unconditional love from God. We have a love that lasts throughout the eternity. Jesus said, no one can snatch you from my father's hand. No one can take you from my daddy's hand. Because I and the father are one. Now, what if the sin that you're committing You've gotten so used to it, you've gotten calloused. Our hearts, our minds, they can get so callous we don't even realize what we're doing anymore. So what happens in a believer's life in that situation? When they're so callous, they've been sinning in that area all that time. They don't even ask for forgiveness about that one. Friends, you can breathe... A sigh of relief, because in Christ, in Christ, all sins are forgiven. I'm going to take you on that journey today to show you that. And in Christ, we are fully insured. We are fully protected. That's good news. That's the gospel. Remember I said the gospel is the good news? That's the gospel. I would hate to rely on me to get me into heaven. Now, I'm better maybe than the guy that lives down the street from me, but that's only my standard. What about the guy that's better than me? You know, in a race, somebody always wins. One person wins. So I'm not relying on me. All my sins have been taken away. John the Baptist would see Jesus coming as he stood waist deep in the muddy Jordan, and he would say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, under an old covenant, had that revelation. How much more under this new covenant of grace do we get this revelation? Now, are there times when you add something of value? Let's imagine I have something of value in my left hand, and I add it to something of great value in this hand, now they're together, are there times that you could add something of value to something that's already valuable and then have the value decrease? Is that possible? Yes, that's possible. Because you also have to factor in and manage the maintenance and risks involved, and that alone can detract from the value. Friends, under grace, our value is incalculable. And the management and risks have been removed. They have been taken away. We are as protected and as safe as we will ever be. There is nothing you can do, good or bad, that will make you less protected and safe than you already are right now with Christ. Adding our works for salvation to Jesus' works never increases our value as sons and daughters. That's what I was getting at here. Are our good works great? Absolutely. Are they valuable? Absolutely. But when we add it to Jesus' finished work as an effort to make us more holy, to make us more righteous, what we've done there is we've decreased the value in our own mind of grace. 
Because grace means the unmerited, unwarranted favor of God. And so if I'm relying on my contribution, married to what Jesus is doing for me, then I have devalued grace in my mind. Grace does not cease to flow. Grace does not cease to be what it is. But I have devalued it in my own mind. Our own self-righteous works will diminish the value we place on grace. Now, Jesus was crucified between two thieves, one on his left, one on his right. Why was only one of the thieves saved? Good question, isn't it? Was one geographically closer and could hear what Jesus was saying from the cross? And the other one was so far away he couldn't hear? No, no, no. Jesus was in the middle. Jesus was crucified in the middle and a thief to each side. They both heard what he had to say. They both heard beautiful words coming out of Jesus. Things like, Father, forgive these guys. They don't know what they're doing. Things like natural men would say, I'm thirsty. They heard him when he looked at John, his apostle, and he said, John, behold thy mother. In other words, he was saying, my mama is your mama now, John. Mother, behold thy son. There's only seven sentences that's recorded from Christ from the cross. Very short, but all so beautiful. One of the things Jesus said just before he died are those words right there. It is finished. And then he said, Father, Papa, Daddy, into thy hand I commit my spirit. Was one of the thieves more vile than the other? Is that what it was? Is that why? No, they were both criminals. They were both murderers. Friends, the thief that was not saved was the one that couldn't get beyond the thought of not paying for his own crime. See, that's what grace does. It frees you up to go, I can't pay for this. It's a debt that's too big. And when you come to the realization, I don't have to work this thing off. He couldn't get beyond the thought, I have to pay for my own crime. Or what we would say, I have to pay for my own sin. In my early Christianity, I wasn't one to go around blowing it much, but if I had a bad attitude one day or something, or I was a little sharp with somebody or something one day, you know, I would start praying. I'd get down, I'd bawl my eyeballs out for about an hour and just ask God to forgive me for everything I'd ever done, you know, and uh, forgive me for that situation. And then I would always wrap that prayer up with, Father, what can I do for you? Do you see how your mind does that? Because you're in a covert way saying, I want to pay for this thing. I, I, I want to do something for you, God. What do I need to do now? I didn't have the gospel of grace ringing in my heart. I knew the gospel saved you, attained you, but it was maintained for me. And so this thief, the one that died without Christ, couldn't get beyond the thought, the imagination. I deserve all of this. 
And that was true. He did. Jesus was the only innocent one there. On the other hand, the thief that was saved, do you know why he was saved? Because he appealed to Jesus' grace by faith. That's it. He appealed to Christ by faith. How do we know that? Because it's recorded in the Bible. That thief looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he knew it wasn't final for him. He was going someplace. This is an interesting revelation that he's not just a crazy man talking out of his head. You don't say to a dead man, remember me. And he knows Jesus is dying the same kind of death he's dying. So he's able to get this revelation in his heart that this man is going somewhere. And based on what I'm hearing you say, when you look to heaven and say, Father, forgive them. Based on that alone, I want you to remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, under all the agony and pain, no doubt, turned to the man and he said, truly, truly, or verily, or verily, today, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And when he said paradise, that word paradise, go look it up sometime. That word paradise in the Greek is the Greek word Eden. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus would say today, I'm going to take you back to the Garden of Eden. But today, you're not going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Today, you're going to eat from the tree of life. And then, yes, you will be with me forever. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Now, think about this for a second. No stipulations, like the million dollars, right? No stipulations. No baptism. Didn't have time. No reading your Bible. No church membership. No writing your wrongs. No donations. No confession of sins. That criminal didn't even ask Jesus to come into his heart. The audacity of him, huh? <laughs> he didn't even say, Jesus, come into my heart. He just said, remember me. Friends, I'm telling you, it's not the words. It's the heart that activates grace. It's the faith, that measure of faith that God has put in our hearts that activates, that brings alive the grace. And when they're married together, it brings life. It brings life. The thief that was saved was saved because he placed his faith in Jesus's grace. What a beautiful, I thought about this yesterday, what a beautiful gift from the Father to give His Son, Jesus, in His final moments of life. What will the Father give His Son? The gift of another soul. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus said, I can call 12 legions of angels and they'll come and take me off this cross. Jesus could have asked for anything. But the father said, son, I'm going to give you something that really touches my heart too. It's another soul. 
Isn't that beautiful? The gift of another life. And to the criminal, he gave the gift of hope. He gave him the gift of everlasting life. That is life without end. That thief received full redemption from his sentence of death. Now, under the Jewish code, there was the ceremonial laws, there were sacrificial laws, judicial laws, dietary laws, moral laws, Ten Commandments. So that's what the 613 are comprised. They come out of those categories. And the laws were extremely valuable to the Jewish nation, God's chosen people at one time. And I would be a fool to say that they weren't of value. They were very beneficial, very beneficial to the Jews. But listen to me carefully, folks. Christ's cross, come on, Christ's cross has rendered them all obsolete. Jesus plus, remember, Jesus minus, Jesus divided by, Jesus multiplied by. No, Christ's cross rendered the whole old covenant obsolete. That is Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13. I don't have the scripture here, but that's where it's found at. He rendered it obsolete. The law's purpose within the new covenant is to show sinners their need for salvation, but the law itself cannot save you. The law cannot save you. The scriptures tell us the law makes nothing perfect. And if you have to be perfect to go to heaven and the law can't help you and you can't help you, then what's left? Jesus' grace. That's what makes us perfect. The law is not our substitute for grace. In other words, I remember in school, you'd have a substitute teacher occasionally. You wouldn't even know you're always going to have it. Teacher, wake up sick, call the sub, sub comes in. There you have it. But the law is never the substitute for grace. The law is no substitute for grace any more than a basketball coach can run out onto the court and sub for a player. You want to know why? He's not on the roster. You have to be on the roster. He's not on the roster, and the law is not on the grace roster. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 through 26, we find these words. Look at these words now. Come on. Wherefore the law. Now let's talk about this law again here real quick. The law is the whole law. It's not just the Ten Commandments here. It's talking about the entire 613 laws. One of them would be you can't eat pork. The Jews could not eat pork. So if you're eating pork and you want to be under the law, you're breaking the law. You couldn't eat shellfish. There's 613 of them. And it says the law was. Now he's writing this. And he's letting them know the law was your schoolmaster. The schoolmaster was the person that would walk children to school. They guarded them against beasts, against people. They were the schoolmasters. And he says the law took you on a journey. It walked you. But the law was your schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law does a function by showing us our need for Christ. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Look at the words now, that we might be justified. That word means declared innocent. Justified means made righteous. It says the law brought us to Christ that we might be justified by the law? No. 
What does it say? It says that we might be justified by faith the same exact way the thief on the cross was justified, the same way he was made innocent. By faith, he said, remember me. That is faith. You can't see the kingdom Jesus is going to. You don't really know for sure that there's God in heaven. He's a pagan guy. He's not a Jew. He's a pagan. He's a Gentile. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But after the faith has come, we are no longer, look at those words now, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. What is the schoolmaster? According to what Paul's doing here, he's telling you the law was the schoolmaster. So what he's saying here is that once we come to Christ, we are no longer under the law. I wouldn't want to operate in a marriage full of laws. I want this give and take. I want relationship. I don't want to have to perform because she wrote out all these laws for me. That would just be a a horrible relationship. It's about love in a relationship. And then he says, for ye are all the children of God. Look at these. By faith. If there was anything else that was necessary, you would need a comma. And then another comma. And another comma until you exhausted every ingredient that was necessary for you to be made innocent, justified with God. But he says here, you're children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Adding something of value to something valuable doesn't always increase the value. See, I brought nothing to him. I brought no contribution to him whatsoever. And had I have brought a contribution to him, he would have just simply said, I don't need that. In fact, you can't even be saved that way. The church is so caught up in all these do's and don'ts. The law, that's what the law is. It's the do's and don'ts. That's the 613. The law is not the believer's sanitizer for daily cleansing, and the law is not our stop-and-go light for daily activities. In other words, if I'm just coursing my way through life, I'm not listening for the law. I'm listening for the Holy Spirit. And if he says stop, I'll stop. He says talk to that person, I'll talk to that person. He said call that person, I'll call that person. I woke up from a nap one afternoon and the Holy Spirit put it on my heart to call this person. I hadn't called this person in years. And when I called and she answered the phone, she began to weep. She said, you don't know this, but I have a knife to my throat right now. She said, I was about to pull it across. My phone started ringing. And she said, I really didn't even want to look and see who it was. And I thought, I'm going to look and just see who it is. And I saw it was you. And I thought, I better take this call. And I led that young lady to Jesus on the phone that day. You've got to be just listening. Quit being so busy working. Just enjoy life. Flow in life. Live life. See good days. Listen for the Holy Spirit. And if you string 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 days together and you don't feel like you've heard at all from the Holy Spirit, He hasn't said much to you, don't worry about it. Sometimes He can be just as silent as you are. Sometimes He's a real chatterbox. He's just really garrulous, boy. He's just talking up a storm. Kind of like you guys too, right? Come on. (laughs) 
The law is not the believer's sanitizer. I know we went through a few years of just sanitizing everything, you know. The law is not what cleanses you. It's not what protects you. It's not your sanitizer. And the law is not our stop and go light on our daily activities. The law is not our barometer that measures our failures and measures our successes. And we can look back at the end of the day, get out our little diary, our little journal, and write in there, no, 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 the Holy Spirit is the one who lifts our wings. And the law is not the believer's one-a-day multivitamin that maintains our spiritual health and Jesus's, come on, Jesus's enriched blood was and is and will forever be sufficient to keep us perfectly healthy. His blood is sufficient. His blood is so rich, one drop of blood could save the whole world. One drop of blood. It's that powerful. You cannot diminish his blood. Beautiful. Now, I'm going to see if I can give you a visual example. You kind of look like visual people to me. I'm going to see if I can give you an, a visual example of some of the things I've been saying up to this point. Justin, would you bring up uh, this slide here? <laughs> How many of you recognize who that is? Come on, you recognize that, don't you? That's the Mona Lisa. Painted by Leonardo da Vinci in the early 1500s, she is more than 500 years old. The Mona Lisa is on display at the Louvre Museum in Paris, France. Its projected value is more than $1 billion. Not million, but billion. To give you an idea how much money that is, that's 1,000 millions. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Now I want to ask you a question. If the world's best painter, I don't care if it's a man, woman, boy, or girl, but whoever that person is out there, if you got the world's best painter and you put that portrait in front of them and you said, you know, I think we'd like to add something to the Mona Lisa. Let's see the next picture. <laughs> I took the liberty yesterday to Photoshop a tiara on the Mona Lisa. <laughs> Looks pretty good, doesn't it? I had to just tweak it just right. But if you took the world's best painter and you said, I want you to paint a tiara. She looks too sad. Paint a tiara on the Mona Lisa. A tiara that's full of jewels. A tiara that is very valuable. The question I want to ask you is would that make the Mona Lisa more or less valuable? What do you think? It would make it less valuable. Why? Because you have modified. You have modified the original. Friends, listen. God did not modify the Old Covenant. He scrapped it. He didn't just say, you know, this seems to work most of the time for the Jews. 
The old covenant was great. It was fine. It was from God. It was perfect. It was holy. It was righteous. It converted the soul. I get all that stuff. So I'm not throwing it under the bus. I'm not antinomian where I preach that I'm a law hater. I love the law for what it's used for, to bring people to Christ and what it was used in the day for to set aside God's chosen people and to really help them with their dietary laws and their moral laws and and keep that civilization alive. So I'm not antinomian. But God scrapped the old covenant. He took it away. (laughs) Like adding a tiara to the Mona Lisa, when one adds law-keeping or rules or performance to the gift of righteousness, do you hear the words, the gift of righteousness? You find those in Romans chapter 5. But when we add anything to what Jesus has done for us and what God has given us, the finished work, we call it, it makes grace, again, less valuable to them. They'll no longer appreciate grace like they did when they were first saved. Listen, I'm not trying to step on any toes. I've just been around a while, right? I hear things. I engage people wherever I go. This is where the church has gotten stuck. She's a little stuck right here. How do I know they're stuck? Listen to me carefully. Because they keep using these little pet phrases. The one I've heard for many years, oh, you're, you're preaching that greasy grace. Now, you get in a finished work church long enough, you're going to hear somebody out there saying, you, you preached a greasy grace. Well, you know what I did yesterday? I took the liberty to look through the Bible to see if the words greasy grace were in there. <laughs> you know what I came across? I came across great grace. That's there. I came across abundant grace, that's there. I came across more grace, that's there. I saw exceeding grace, that's there. I saw sufficient grace, that one was there too. I saw manifold grace, that was there. I saw true grace, that was there. But I did not find greasy grace. You added that one. You added that one. You're name calling. And that's what people do when they don't know what to do with what you believe about any subject. They either raise their voice at you, they get silent, give you the cold shoulder, or they call you names. The people that love God, they give you their shirt off their back. I've heard them say, I've heard it from the pulpit. You're preaching that greasy grace. It's not greasy. Jesus shed his blood, his precious blood. Please don't call it that. I know the church gets stuck because they keep using phrases like, (laughs) come on, you're giving people a license to sin. The Bible says differently. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, we find these words. Now, please pay attention to these words. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, look at the next word. It. What is the it referring to here? Grace. The grace of God. I love this. Tickles my heart. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Grace teaches. Grace is the teacher here, not law. It's grace that teaches us to what? Say no. In other words, quit sinning. It's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus 
Christ. Look at these words now. Who gave himself for us, look at this, to redeem. That means to repurchase. You were in slavery and you were bought out. That's what redeem means. He gave us Jesus Christ. He gave us this grace to do what? To redeem us from what? Wickedness. And to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Now it says eager to do what is good. When you get that revelation that it's grace that's the teacher, it's grace that draws you out of your ungodliness and worldly passions and teaches you to live self-controlled upright lives in this life. When you get that revelation, now you can go to work. But we get it backwards. We go to work so we won't do this ungodliness. We keep ourselves busy enough. No, it's the other way. What we do is the fruit of what we believe. The scriptures say, as a man thinketh, so is he. I know that the church is stuck because they keep using phrases like this. Well, you still have to ask for forgiveness when you sin. Now, I'm going to mess with your religious minds here a second, okay? I, I look, <laughs> golly boy, I don't know why I never saw this over the years. Well, you got to ask for forgiveness when you sin. No, technically you don't. Why? Because all your sins were forgiven in Christ. He has taken them away, past, present, and future. Otherwise, if you have to ask for forgiveness, then you're back into that sin management program again. Because again, what if you forget one? What if you get so used to doing one? No, your sins have been forgiven. So you say, then what, what do I do when I sin? Stop! What do I do when I, when I sin? Have a little talk with Jesus. Come on. Tell him all about your troubles, right? He will hear your faintest cry. He will answer by and by. Have a little talk with Christ. Just get real. Father, what is it that's making me do this? Because I know I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I know I'm innocent in my spirit. What's causing my body? What's causing my mind to think the thoughts I'm doing? What's causing me to say the things I'm thinking? What is it, Father? And I can tell you, it's not just him putting his finger on one thing at a time. It's this, 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 and this. Get this person out. No, it's not like that. He would say to us, listen to the teacher. Who's the teacher? Grace. Grace is the teacher. He's the one who teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled upright lives. So you say, oh, wait a minute now, now, no, I got you on this one. Because 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How I many know that scripture, right? Conditional clause. If we confess our sins. That section of the scriptures, the writer is writing to agnostics. He's writing to atheists. He's writing to unbelievers. And so that is true. If you as an unbeliever will confess your sin, then God will be faithful to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But what the church did is the church picked that up as her bar of soap. I'm confessing my sin today, Father. I'm getting all cleaned off. I'm looking good now, huh, Daddy? Until you go out and get into the real world again, and find out, oh, now i got to go confess some more sin. I looked at a girl wrong. I said something wrong to my boss. Whatever it may be. 
We're not in that business of confession. But the church will say, well, see, that's why I don't like that gospel of grace that you guys preach. Because you say you don't have to ask for forgiveness. You don't. Now, there's nothing wrong with it, but you don't in order to be forgiven, is what I'm getting at. You're already forgiven. But what does it do when you get real with people? You know, I mean, there's been a few times in the 20 plus years I've been married to Valerie that I've hurt her feelings. Just a, really a few. Just a few times. I mean... Yeah, it's, it's pretty quite amazing, right? That's grace, friends, okay? But there's been times I've hurt her feelings. And guess what I like to do when I hurt her feelings? The very first time I did it, I went over and got on my knees in her lap, and I started crying. I just said, honey, I'm so sorry I hurt your feelings. That is not who I am, and that's not what I want to do. Forgive me for that. I didn't have to ask that in order to be forgiven But at the same time, it cleansed my consciousness and it saw the genuineness in me. All right? You're not in the sin management business. God has taken away your sins. How many? All of them. Jesus died once for all. That's what the scriptures say. And that he died once for all, that they which live should henceforth no longer live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He died for us all. I hear things like, well, you still have to keep yourself righteous. Holy, sometimes they'll say it like that, right? I want to show you the next slide here. What you're looking at here is a 1965 Ford Mustang GT350 Shelby. That's a pretty car, isn't it? And so what I did is I went out there on the internet and I found a Chevy logo. And I found a Chevy nameplate and I photoshopped it and I brought it right over and stuck it right on my car. (laughs) Stuck it right on that Ford. You see it back there in the back quarter panel? Chevrolet. So you look at this car and you think, what in the world is going on here, right? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I did with this thing. So here's my question, okay? Here's the question I have for you. Now that the Chevy nameplate and the Chevy logo is on the Ford Mustang, my question is, does it become a Chevrolet now or does it remain a Ford? (laughs) It remains a Ford, doesn't it? Why? Because it was made a Ford, right? And one of the enemy's dirtiest tricks, I mean, he's just a master at this, is to tack names on us, to pin names on us that are just not fitting. And I felt the Holy Spirit say it in my heart, these words. He said, no matter the chatter, you were made the righteousness of God in Christ. What a beautiful vehicle you are, son. He likes me just the way I am. So those are just but a few examples of being stuck in a fusion, a mixture, a crossbreed gospel, the old and new covenants brought together, again, which is no gospel at all. And whether a painter paints a tiara on Mona Lisa, a diamond necklace and matching earrings, or a broader smile on Mona Lisa, it would only decrease her value. In my brain, I want to put a smile. I want to see some teeth. Put a smile on you, Mona. You look too sad. (laughs) But it would decrease the value. 
Believers are already robed. Come on, the scriptures tell us we have been robed in righteousness and glory to add anything to our salvation to make us more valuable is a fusion. It's a mixture. It's an emulsification. It's a crossbred gospel, which is no gospel at all. <laughs> In Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 from the Living Bible, we find these words. Look at these words. So Christ has made us free. Would you just pitch a tent with me for a second? Come on. Just get your marshmallows out, get them in the fire, make you some s'mores. This is a good scripture. Come on. For Christ has made us free. You didn't make yourself free. Your neighbor didn't make yourself free. Getting rid of your spouse didn't make you free. Christ has made us free. Amen. Come on, man. It says, so Christ has made us free. Can you see? Okay. Are you in your tent? All right, it's nightfall, right? Okay, the fire's dying down. You're looking up out of your little hammock and you're looking at the twinkling little stars up there. The God that made everything made those two. And hear those words just filter down into your heart. Christ has made you free. You are free. How free are you? Free, free, free. <laughs> just like that commercial. You are free, free, free. How free are you? Full redemption. Now it says, now make sure that you stay free. Uh-oh. Now it seems like we're getting into a different water here now. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get all tied up again in the chains of slavery to Jewish laws and ceremonies. Part of the Jewish laws are those Ten Commandments, okay? So it says, make sure you stay free by not getting caught up in that stuff. Please, do not allow your brain to translate this verse as a lose your salvation scripture. It's not anything about that. In other words, if you took a lion and you put him in a zoo, he's confined. He has some boundaries. He's restricted. He's in a form of slavery. Would you agree with that? He's in a zoo. Is he still a lion? He's a lion whether he's roaming the jungles of Africa or he's a lion in a zoo, but he's restricted. And that's what this scripture is getting at. It's saying you can bring restrictions upon yourself. You don't change your nature, who you are in Christ. That never changes. But you're going to set boundaries out there and you're not going to be able to move around and live life and see good days and live from a standpoint of rest. That's why Jesus would say, are you tired? Are you wearied? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Get away with me and take a real rest. I'll show you how to do it. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So this is not a lose your salvation scripture. This is just telling you, you can get all chained up in your mind again. Your spirit man has been released. He is as complete as he will ever be. He is as pure as he will ever be. He is as holy and righteous and undefiled as he will ever be. But in your mind, in your emotional realm, in your will, that's your soulish realm. You can be bound. You can be restricted. You can be confined. 
And how does that happen? By going back to the Jewish laws. That's what he's saying here. Is that what he's saying? He's saying, now make sure you stay free. Okay, how do I stay free? Let me write this down now. Don't get all tied up again in the chains of slavery to Jewish laws and ceremonies. I don't know how it could be more plain, folks. And then he says, listen to me, for this is serious. Kind of like a mama would talk to the kids, right? Now listen to me, this is serious. If you are counting on circumcision, so what the Apostle Paul is doing here, he's dealing with a people that have only known the law. He's dealing with Gentiles, but the Gentiles are familiar with the Jewish customs, and so they know that if you're going to follow God, you have to be circumcised. I don't care what age you are, you've got to be circumcised, right? And he says, if you are counting on circumcision and keeping the Jewish laws to make you right with God, then Christ cannot save you. In other words, he's saying, if you add anything, remember Christ plus anything. I mean, how benign is circumcision? How infant is baptism? He said, if you are relying on any of those things, he said, then Christ cannot save you. You can't be saved because it's by grace through faith that we've been saved. And it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Next scriptures. I'll say it again, how we used to say it down in Virginia. I've told you for the last time. Up here in the north, they say, I'm only going to tell you one more time. But no, not where I grew up. We heard, I told you for the last time. (laughs) He says, I'll say it again. Anyone trying to find favor. Now that word favor is hares. In the Greek, it means grace. Anyone who is trying to find grace with God, you're trying to get the benefits of grace, the benefits of the finished work, But if you're trying to get that with God by being circumcised, then he says you've got a problem on your hand because you have to obey every single one of the Jewish laws or perish. Nobody could do it. The book of James says we all stumble in many ways. Nobody can do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. I can't even do it on my best day. Again, I'm not counting on me. It's an all-or-nothing proposition with God. If you want to live by the law, then you have to obey it completely all the time. There's no just asking for forgiveness when you fail. You have to obey it all the time, every moment. He says, Christ is useless to you if you are counting on clearing your debt to God by keeping those laws You are lost from God's grace. That's one of the scariest scriptures in the Bible right there because other versions say you have fallen from grace. How many of you have heard that before? You have fallen from grace. And all that means, it doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. What it means is you have fallen away from the covenant, the operating system of the covenant of grace, and you cannot be saved any other way. You have fallen away from the only thing that can save you, which is Christ's grace through faith. Next scriptures. But we, by the help of the Holy Spirit, (laughs) are counting on Christ's death to clear away our sins and to make us right with God. And we, to whom Christ has given eternal life, don't need to worry about whether we have been circumcised or not, or whether we are obeying the Jewish ceremonies or not. For all we need is faith expressing itself. 
faith working through love. That's the greatest commandment. Jesus said everything hangs upon those. Is faith expressing itself through love. What are these scriptures telling us? They're communicating to us that the beauty, the grandeur, the impressiveness of the finished work of Jesus Christ has made us free. Everything He has done has made us free. How free? A full redemption. How free? A full pardon. A taking away of our sins once for all, and He has brought us into fellowship and union with the Father. He has ransomed us at great, great, great cost. Great cost. There's not a human being on the planet I would give my darling Valerie for. You could beg with tears. You could show me all the money in the world. You could get out your checkbooks and I can write any check you want. I'd say, friend, I hope you know Jesus because you're about to meet him. You're not getting my wife. That's love. But God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. Did he not like Jesus? He's trying to get rid of Jesus. No, God and Jesus are one. God gave himself. Expressed through Jesus, being born as a man. This is love that you would lay down your own life. The Bible says, greater love hath no man than that he lay down his own life for his friend. This newfound freedom that I'm talking about comes only by grace, through faith in Christ. To substitute faith with the Jewish laws and commandments is to get all tied up again. The law is a dreadful surrogate for faith. I'm not letting the law take the place of faith. The law exchanges the crown of loving kindness and tender mercies for a man-made tiara. This newfound freedom is released only through the revelation of the believer's full redemption from the law. Now, I'm going to ask you, a few thought-provoking questions. Just go ahead and just answer them in your head. Nobody else will even know. I'm going to ask you some thought-provoking questions. What percentage of you belongs to God? In other words, how much of you did Jesus redeem? Was your salvation a partial salvation? Was it the lion's share portion redemption? Was it a 50-50 partnership redemption? And what was the cost for your redemption? Friends, the believer's full redemption from the law cost Jesus his life. Through his death, his burial, and resurrection, the believer has been released from slavery. Rescued from darkness, ransomed from sin, and redeemed from her empty way of life, which is the law, the scriptures tell us. Our redemption is complete. It is a finished work. Believers have received a full pardon and a full redemption. Amen? One of my pet peeves, I don't have a lot of them, I don't think, <laughs> but one of my pet peeves 
is when you buy a battery-operated tool or a toy or some sort of other device and it doesn't come with the batteries. It's a big disappointment, right? Especially at Christmas if you're trying to give a little kid something and you don't have the batteries now to run his little car or whatever. Friends, the Father didn't provide us with a salvation and not think it through. Our battery is the sweet Holy Spirit. And He comes with salvation and He never needs replacing. How about that? He never needs replacing. The word redemption comes from the Greek word apolutrosis. Now, I'm not trying to show off in Greek here. It's a compound word, and that means a compound word is taking two words and then merging them together, kind of like boxcars. Now they form one word. Kind of like if we took the word shoe and we took the word lace, but we brought them together for the ones that tie our shoes. That is a shoelace, all one word, compound word. And that's what apolutrosis is. It's two words merged together to form one word. And when you do that, it has a more powerful meaning, more powerful, more specific application. Now, I want you to see the prefix apo in the Greek. Apo means the separation of one thing from another by which the union or fellowship of the two is destroyed. So now think about what we're talking about. We're talking about redemption. When we're bought out of slavery, what he's saying there is your way back has been destroyed. Apple means to destroy the union. So it's not just I buy you up. My daddy used to do this all the time. He'd hock his guitar at an old pawn shop, and then he'd you know wait a couple of weeks to get a paycheck, and he'd go get his guitar out of the pawn shop, and then another three or four weeks, you know, we didn't have any food, he'd go hock the guitar again or pocket knife or something. So it was constantly going back and forth. No, see what happens here is the pawn shop has been destroyed. It no longer exists. There's no way to retreat back to it. The union and fellowship of the two has been destroyed. That's what Apple means. <laughs> So it's just not a, a temporary situation. Apple speaks of the stronghold that once held us, not only as a sinner, but the stronghold that holds us as wanting to obey the law and all the commandments as a means for righteousness. Now, the word lutrosis comes from the Greek word lutron. It means something to loosen with. That is a redemption, a price, a ransom. God lost Adam in the garden because Adam became a sinner when he took from the fruit. And so Jesus, God, they can't just get in a tug of war with Satan. There had to be a redemption. There had to be a price. There had to be a ransom that was paid. And it had to be a ransom that was worthy to take us out of the hands of the enemy. Lutrosis means something to loosen with, that is redemption, a price, a ransom. Now, let's look at apolutrosis altogether. It's best understood as a loosening, a separation from the fellowship of destruction that once bound and destroyed us. We have been separated from that. It speaks of a redemption and ransom. And we know who it is that has redeemed and ransomed us. It was the one man, Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you the question, 
what in the world is powerful enough and costly enough to serve as the redemption price and the ransom for them that were bound by the power of their captors? What would be worthy enough? What would be costly enough? The answer is the unmodified, undiluted, and unadulterated blood of Jesus Christ. And through the cross, the believer's full redemption from the law is granted. We have been snatched out of the enemy's hands, and that union and fellowship has been destroyed. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, destruction, death, and debauchery. And the Father has translated us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We've been translated into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Webster's 1828, now this is Noah Webster, when he wrote the dictionary in 1828, this is what he said about redemption. He said, repurchase, not just purchase, repurchases when it used to belong to you. My daddy didn't purchase his guitar back. He repurchased it. It was already his. Noah Webster nailed it. He said, repurchase of captured goods or prisoners, the act of procuring the deliverance of persons or things from the possession and power of captors by the payment, look at this, by the payment of an equivalent ransom release as the redemption of prisoners taken in war. That's what you and I were. Friends, Jesus didn't buy us from a rummage sale. He repurchased prisoners of war that had been taken captive when Adam fell in the garden. My question is, what was the currency? What was the currency that God used to repurchase captured prisoners from their captors. What was the currency? Love. Love was the currency. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love is the currency. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Love was the currency. The believer's full redemption from the law was repurchased, brought out of slavery, and bought out with love. The love I speak of was nailed to a cross. Jesus wore a tiara, a tiara of thorns, friends. And his tiara of thorns by no means lowered the value of his sacrifice, but rather validated his love for humanity. As abuse and scorn were lavished, were heaped upon Jesus. The riches of God's love and grace were lavished on us. It's a glorious picture of redemption through Christ's sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Look at these words. It says, in love, come on, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
in him we have, look at that word again, redemption. We have redemption. That's the loosening from our captors. That's the separation from the union and the fellowship that once bound us. He has redeemed us. It says there, in him we have redemption. What? How? Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. How did it start off? It says, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In him we have been procured, snatched from the fellowship of darkness and destruction. Victors over the barrier that once separated us. And more than conquerors over the sin that once bound us and the sin that once defeated us. Through Christ's blood, we have received forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We have been repurchased. But we've not only been repurchased, we've been released. But we've not only been released, we have been ransomed and we have been redeemed by that precious blood. We have been loosed from grave clothes and we have been lavished by grace by the one man, Jesus Christ. Through the believer's full redemption from the law, we are no longer prisoners of war and we are no longer slaves to sin. We have discarded the emulsified cocktail that we had been drinking of the mixture of the old and the new covenants. Listen, because this is the way the Holy Spirit dropped it in my heart yesterday. He says, you are not a hybrid son. As he is, so are you in this world. I'm not a hybrid, friends. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I'm closing real soon. Friends, there's so much truth that is packed into these two verses in Colossians there. You say, Pastor Mark, make it plain. Okay. We have been rescued. We have been restored. We have been relocated, new kingdom and we have been redeemed. It's just that simple. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 26, this is how the Apostle Paul is winding down his letter to the Galatians. He says these words, Tell me you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, that's the shake and bake son, right? The shake and bake and I helped. <laughs> one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Now, it's interesting that he is painting this allegory here. He's wanting the Galatians to see you're not under the law. I'm going to take you all the way back to Abraham. Before the law even existed, when it was a covenant with Abraham just by faith, I'm going to take you all the way back there. And then he says, Abraham's son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. Come on. That's your help. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. And then he says, these things are being taken figuratively. This is a picture. It's an allegory. He said, the women represent two covenants. 
Paul is right in this. He says the women represent two covenants. Which covenants? The old covenant and the new covenant. And he says one covenant is from Mount Sinai. That's where Moses climbed to receive the Ten Commandments. He said one of those sons is, and one of those mothers is from Mount Sinai. That covenant, the old covenant. And she bears children who are to be slaves. And then he names her. And just so that you know exactly who he's talking about, he said, this is Hagar, the maidservant of Sarah. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Look at these words. Because she is in slavery with her children. She's in slavery. Why? Because the flesh got involved. You tried to help God. You didn't want to wait on the promise. So you got ahead of God, and you tried to do it in your own human strength and all your own human abilities. And he says, she is in slavery with her son. When you come under the law as your means of righteousness, you come into a form of slavery where it binds you up in your soul, in your mind, your will, your emotions. But the Jerusalem that is above, now he's talking about Sarah. But the Jerusalem that above is free, and she is our mother. Sarah, her name literally refers in the covenant of grace. Abraham's the father of faith, and when grace and faith come together, they produce life. For by grace are you saved through faith. He's talking to people who are saying they want to be under the law. Why would they say something like that? Because they don't know what the law says. The law wages war against our minds and makes us a prisoner. Many believers are under the impression that God grades on some sort of curve. And if their good deeds surpass their bad deeds and they keep confessing their sins, then they are forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. No, friends, that's a hybrid gospel, and that is not how the new covenant works. It's Christ plus nothing equals everything. Well then, what is the key that unlocks the prison door of despair? What is the key that unlocks the prison door of frustration and disappointment? We send away the mother and her shake-and-bake son, and we fully embrace the son that was given through a promise. Galatians chapter 4, verses 28 to 31, my final scriptures. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. So he's talking to the body of Christ, people that have accepted Jesus. He said, you're like children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And that's the way it always is. That's why we get picked on so much, but we're not picking on other people. Remember the greasy grace thing? It's the subordinate son, the son of the flesh, picking on the son of promise. It is the same now. Then he says, but what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, We are not children of the slave woman, but of the free 
woman. My closing thoughts and prayers. A week ago this past Friday, I decided to work in what I would call the back 40 of my property. There's some brush back there, and I just wanted to clear it all out. We've lived there for more than 20 years. And I was totally oblivious to the fact that I was working in a poison ivy patch. On Monday, which would have been last Monday, I had to call into work because I was a hot mess. I was an absolute mess. I planned on going to work on Tuesday, but as I got up early in the morning, I sat in the chair, just having my time with the Lord. I was sitting in the chair. I could feel the pulse from my heart beating in my ring finger. And I had tried to get my wedding band off the day before, but it was the knuckle had just ballooned so big. It was not coming off. My hands were just so inflamed that there was just nothing else to do. Now, I have worn that wedding ring since the day I said yes to Valerie. I've never spent a night without that ring on my finger. The thought of cutting off that ring troubled me, but I happen to be more partial to my finger than I am the ring. I can always repair the ring, right? And so I contacted the fire chief, and I said, do you have a tool down there that cuts rings off people's fingers? And he said, absolutely. He said, come on down, we'll take it right off. And when I went to the fire department, four young firefighters gathered around me, and the girl got a tool out of the truck, and she slipped that underneath my ring, and she just started grinding that wheel. So under 60 seconds, that ring snapped in two and was off my finger. I looked at that young lady and I said these words. I said, I was never so happy in all of my life than to have that ring slipped over my finger. And I said, you know what, in a weird sense, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I've never been happier to get it cut off either. <laughs> Friends, that's my story. I was never so happy as the day that I came to Christ. But I was never so happy the day that he cut that yoke of the old covenant off of me. I wish it would have only taken 60 seconds to cut that out of my mind, but it's taken almost two decades. Why did it take so long? Because I wouldn't let go of my shake-and-bake mother and son is religion. What religion am I talking about? I'm talking about the religion that is maintained by my law-keeping and performance. The religion that attempts to increase its value by painting tiaras on my Mona Lisa. The religion that is looking for a 50-50 partnership with the Father. I'm talking about the religion that refuses to embrace the believer's full redemption from the law.
Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. The gospel of Jesus plus, Jesus minus, Jesus divided by, or Jesus multiplied by, is a hybrid gospel. It's a ring, <laughs> not around your finger, around your neck. It's no gospel at all. It will keep your emotions inflamed. But the good news is this ring can be cut off. You say, I know, by the fire department, right, Mark? No, 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 not the fire department. By sending the shake and bake mother and her son into the desert. Religion will come along and it will tell you, you know, brother, you know, sister, your tiara just needs a little straightening. And your straightening will come through your daily confession of sins. No. True relationship, on the other hand, will remind you that you are forever perfect. You have been crowned with the Father's loving kindness and tender mercies. Believers are under the new covenant of grace. And under this covenant, we are fully insured and protected. Our redemption cannot be forfeited, stolen, lost, or revoked. There is no maintenance to tend to and no risks to be aware of. You can breathe. Go ahead. Come on. Breathe a sigh of relief because in Christ, all is forgiven. Once for all. You say, Pastor Mark, I feel stuck. I kind of feel exhausted most of the time. I feel like my enthusiasm and my energy and my joy took a long walk on a short pier. I feel a little depleted. Can you help me to put a smile back on my Mona Lisa? Can you put a tiara back on my Mona Lisa? Friends, that's what depleted your enthusiasm and joy in the first place. Always trying to fix the exterior rather than discovering the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Religion she will do her best to pin names and logos on us, like backslidden, like prodigal son, like unworthy, like shameful, like heretic, like blasphemers. Friends, it is in moments like these that we must remind ourselves that no matter the chatter, I was made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, take the wheel. What a beautiful vehicle I am. Christ has made us free to live the believer's full redemption from the law kind of life. Amen. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for the liberty that we get through the word. I know it's a long word, Father, but it's a helpful word to people out there 
who just find themselves always trying to fix the exterior of themselves, not dealing with the inside stuff that's going on. In all honesty, they don't know how. They don't realize that it starts by sending away. It starts by sending away, making up in our mind that it's okay to let go of that first son that we held on to, that Ishmael. It's okay to send Hagar out into the desert. She represents the old covenant. She represents a covenant that we are no longer under. We are under the covenant of grace. So I thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you as these words seep into our heart, that they begin to be a healing balm, that they begin to heal our emotions, our inflamed emotions. I thank you that you're cutting things off of us that are just not healthy for us. Father, in Christ, we need nothing else. It's Christ alone, cornerstone, rich made strong in the Savior's love. It's not Christ plus, Christ minus, Christ divided by, or Christ times anything. It's Christ alone. And Father, for that, I say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.